0: you uh-huh. Tyler Smith and this is more than one lesson episode 48 Uh and um, I wanted to before we uh, get started I wanted to say thanks to Toby Miley for being a guest on the last episode Um, I really enjoyed talking to him and I hope you guys enjoyed uh, listening to him for an hour and 45 minutes Uh, what I have to say can't possibly be that important okay that's fine but he's very important He's in a lot of commercials, and, and he was in The Social Network. Um, and then, uh, thanks to everybody for voting uh, for more than one lesson in the podcast awards. Uh, they they say that the winners will be announced November fourth, but the ceremony won't be until like a week and a half later. So I don't, and the winners will be announced like at some like blog expo in Los Angeles, and so I don't know if they're like. Going to be announcing them online, so I don't yet know if we'll win. Uh, or <laughs> look, we all know we're going to win. Uh, I just don't know when we'll find out that inevitability. And so, um, but either way, thanks to everybody for for voting. I appreciate your support. And uh, I will now welcome in because uh, the last time he was here, I forgot to say his name. Uh, my co-host Josh Long. Hello, everyone. How's it going there, Josh? It's it's doing it's going good. Ooh. That was a rough start.
1: Oh, man. I was I was thinking so hard about how I was going to introduce my... Well,
0: how I was going to talk <laughs> at first. <laughs> and the first things I would say. Man, you're out for one episode and you're rusty. Uh, and for those that don't know, uh, Josh was um, was not here for the last episode because he's he's been assistant directing a movie. How's that been going? Because it's not done yet, right? It's not done yet. We still have two more days. It's been going uh,
1: it's been going pretty well. All right. It's a, it's a good crew. It's a... Movie will be uh, higher par than some of the other stuff that I've worked on. There's no uh, uh, weird horror elements, and I don't know. We have a budget, and that's nice. I know you're getting paid, and everything It's very exciting. I mean, it's like a real movie. <laughs> so, but yes, it's been uh, it's been a good experience. I'm uh, glad to be doing it. Look, looking forward to being over. You know, it's you like to wrap up a project, but um, now i have out been of fr- enjoying it.
0: Out of curiosity, what uh before we get into the uh topic, uh what exactly goes into assistant directing because you know, because the director is the person that's in charge of everything creatively. And so it stands to reason that the assistant director would also have creative input, right? Not really. Okay. Um the
1: assistant director is more I think the easiest way to explain it is the assistant it's the assistant director's job to take the director's vision and like Dispense that information to everyone, in able to, in order to get it to happen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you wanted to just direct a movie without an assistant director, you'd be running all over the place and having to talk to everybody and do all this stuff. And it's sort of like the the director can say, "This is what I want done," and the assistant director like gets to everybody to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So, and that way, a director can spend more time uh, talking with his actors or sort of thinking about the shots that he wants to do or, or a lot of, uh,
0: a lot of the creative side of it because he doesn't have to fuss so much with the, the practical side of it. Okay. And, uh, do you find, cause I know you've done a lot of, uh, assistant directing work. Do you find that rewarding? I mean, do you enjoy doing it? I do. Yeah. It's,
1: it's not the same, uh, I don't find it rewarding the same way that I find when I'm actually doing something more on the creative side yeah um you know if that be that writing or directing or something like that but uh but it is fulfilling and i enjoy uh i enjoy on set work it's a there's a there's an energy to it that's a lot of i don't know that's invigorating i guess some people hate it and i can understand that because for me on this one it's been you know 12 hour days 6 a.m to 6 p.m and uh sometimes like it can be 7 days at a time sometimes but uh but i don't know i enjoy it so i feel like if there this is a general rule i feel like i have if there's something that other people
0: hate to do but you enjoy doing it you should probably be doing that <laughs> like that's a, i feel like that's a good sign <laughs> that's true it's uh i remember back when i was uh, unemployed i would look for uh, you know data entry jobs and like and also specifically like typing jobs Mm. because among my few skills typing fast and accurately is one of them and uh, and i thought like and i enjoy typing i can type all day long because i don't have to think about anything (laughs) um certainly not think about how unhappy i am and so uh, you don't have time you're too busy typing exactly i gotta hey 80 words a minute they're not gonna type themselves (laughs) and so um so yeah, I would always apply to those and be like, I feel like I'm I'm one up on other people because I actually want to do this, <laughs> and I wouldn't be settling. Well, I mean, I'd be settling, but right. uh, you know, not as much as other people. That's right. So, um, okay. So the film uh, now, can you say what uh, the name of the film is that you're working on?
1: I think I can. The name of the film is "I Love Your Moves." I love uh, your moves. It sounds I- like a sounds like a dance movie. Well, that's well, that's what it is, Tyler. Oh. It's about uh, ballroom dancing and uh, high school students who do ballroom dancing.
0: All right. There's a documentary called Mad Hot Ballroom. It's not that movie. Okay. It's a different movie. Oh. Is it inspired by that movie? Sure. I don't know. Maybe partially. Okay. Fair enough. Um, All right. So look for I Love Your Moves whenever it comes out. So, okay. On to the topic. Let's try to keep this short. By which I guess I mean an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, what a wonderful day that would be. That's the t- You made it sound like that's the topic. The topic for today is let's keep, let's keep short. it short. Yeah. We're talking about short films
1: <laughs> that just
0: don't waste your time. They get right to it. We're going to have two sentences on every short film that we can think of. <laughs> nice and short will be a common refrain. <laughs> and so, uh, okay. In the spirit of Halloween, which is something I never say, uh, because I don't usually care about Halloween, except I do enjoy carving pumpkins. The uh, Well, I enjoy part of it. I don't enjoy scooping out all the all the innards, all the uh, pumpkin entrails. That's the rough part, but after you get through that, it's totally worth it when you get to actually carve something.
1: Yeah. I didn't get to do it this year. I don't think I'm going to get to.
0: There's still. Are you working tomorrow?
1: And Monday. Wow. Uh, it's Saturday, by the way, for those of you who
0: are trying to, those of you math whizzes trying to figure that out in your heads. Oh oh yes indeed. And so um we don't have enough math on this show. Yeah, no. Okay, that's neither here nor there. Um in the spirit of Halloween, uh I wanted I I kind of thought that I should try to address something that is sort of common in the Christian community in regards to the attitude towards film. Um you know, you you run across people who say, you know, we need to be they may not say it in these terms, but in some, time, in some cases they do. Uh, you know, we should be suspicious of film. We should be suspicious of Hollywood. They're trying to, you know, corrupt us. They're trying to subvert our morals and, and that sort of thing. And the genre, I think, that they point to the most as proof of this, as proof of, of Hollywood being desensitized and all of that. I think they point to the horror genre. And say that like it's I mean words like demonic are used Mm -hmm. and satanic and and all of that And so I wanted to sort of address the horror genre in general Uh, And I think I'm actually going to wind up being much more conciliatory this episode than I am usually because I will start by saying that For me, I do tend to distance myself from words like demonic and satanic, but that doesn't necessarily mean that those words don't apply. Now, I certainly would not use them flippantly, and I certainly don't think that uh, there are filmmakers out there who say, like, now's my chance to invoke Satan or demons, (laughs) Um, or both. You know, why limit yourself? Yeah. And so... uh, You're gonna go. Go with a smile. Um... (laughs) That's from Batman. <laughs> so, uh, so I feel like, so. I don't think there's any filmmakers that are trying to do that. Nor do I think there's any necessary like like a story that they're trying to tell is it, they're trying to subvert anything. Uh, but I do think that certain images and certain content can be disturbing to people mm-hmm. and get them thinking about certain things and make them, at the very least, feel. Bad and, and I think it's possible for someone to watch a, a certain movie or read a certain book or whatever and feel somehow distanced from God. Now, of course, to a certain extent, that's on them. But what I will say is that there's a I'm, I'm much more willing to allow for a, a for subjectivity when it comes to something like horror, because there are certain types of horror movies that I can't watch because it's deeply disturbing to me and it has an effect on me emotionally and when i am affected emotionally in a certain way it will then affect my spiritual life my social life and and stuff like that now i know that may sound a little grand to say that watching a certain type of movie will ruin my social and spiritual <laughs> life and that's not what i'm saying but it can have you know it can have an effect on your day and so if there are any christians or non-christians who are deeply affected by uh, by horror movies of one kind or another, and you want to avoid it because it's disturbing to you. Um, I understand that, and I'm okay with it. But what I, as always, what I want to talk about with this episode is that it may be disturbing to you. It may not be disturbing to somebody else. That does not make that person wrong. And it doesn't necessarily make the genre completely without merit. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I've been talking for a while, and I know that you yourself are not much of a horror guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And frankly, I don't consider myself to be one either. Um, You know, you talk to horror, like real horror people, and for them it's the exact opposite of what i'm saying it might as well be the only genre that exists
1: yeah some of the well i've worked with some of those people oh i'm sure some of those movies and some of some of the people who who work on these low budget horror movies like that's their that's their bread and butter you know Mm -hmm. they would watch uh, they watch these low budget ones because they've seen everything you know it's like you they've seen all the big horror movies they get you know they tear through those things like something tearing through something else really fast. Well done. Thanks. I'm going to be really good with metaphors today. So just, you know, be on your toes, America. Oh, sorry. Universe. Yeah. Come on now. I always forget that. Anyway, um, this goes to the whole universe except China. <laughs> <laughs> well, that doesn't seem fair. Oh, the embargo. Yeah. Do we have an embargo? Wait, wait, it's a podcast. embargo. Oh, <laughs> podcast embargo. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah. Uh, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a, I feel like it's a very tricky subject because there's a lot of questions about what the motivation of the filmmaker is, what the motivation of the viewer is, um, whether or not, uh, there's also a question of whether or not that should have any effect on how you view the film. Um, um, and then there are, like, different levels of horror films and uh, that have different motivations. Like, I think some are, uh I don't know, there are some that have, like, a deeper meaning and are trying to, uh, that are trying to make a overall point. And then there are some where I think they're literally, their goal is to get as much gore in as they can because right. people like to see gore. And then it, that goes, again, into the motivations thing. Like, is it okay to make a movie with a lot of gore in it? because you want people to see a lot of gore because you know that there are people who
0: want to see a lot of gore. And I think that, because, I think because of the content, I think people single out horror more like gory content. Like, that's horrible. That's disgusting. And they're doing it just to bring people in. Well, mo- all movies do stuff just to, not all movies, but a lot of movies and a lot of studio decisions are made to bring people in. Mm-hmm. With like the action genre, it's like, explosions car chases they may be totally arbitrary and serve no artistic function they're in there just to bring in the action junkie just as gore is can be used to bring in the the horror junkie Um, i think because of the 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 tropes of the horror genre people are more likely to condemn that but that Practice of throwing in something solely because you're sort of, quote-unquote, giving the audience what they want or doing what the studio wants you to do. Um, that's not specific to the horror genre, no. but I think giving people what you think they want in the horror genre might take on different uh, qualities. Well, and that's uh, that goes... I think that kind of
1: leads into the question of whether or not it's okay to... Um I'm trying to think. if This really does lead into this question. Um, I don't know. Like, th- th- what what it means to look at gore, and what the mm-hmm. motivation is for that. What the the reason is that people look at that. It, because if in the looking at it, uh, same as with pornography, in if in the looking at it, there is a there is a sin, mm-hmm. then feeding a sinful urge in people would have to be wrong mm-hmm. logically so and i think with pornography it's a lot more clear cut so you can say like okay. well they're just regarding just giving the people what they want to get them in if you did that with you know nudity and sex which sometimes happens specifically in horror movies yes um i think that's something that we can as christians look at and say if this is in here merely to to titillate people and to get people who want to be titillated to watch then it seems at least like it's only driving a uh, a, a negative driven by a negative um cause i made mean, that sound vague more vague than i meant
0: well yeah it is it's it's and and this is why i i can't Simply say, well, Christians who think this way about horror are wrong because, I mean, these images, even if we know, even if we know they're fake, and that, that is kind of the difference between nudity and violence is in film violence is fake. Mm-hmm. Now, it's real to us, and it's real in the, in the world that has been created, and so we will sort of treat it as real, I think, mm-hmm. uh, instinctively, and then intellectually we'll be like, well, of course we know that's not real. Nudity is always real, except in, except in, except in the last scene of Boogie Nights. Uh, But, uh, you know, nudity is that's what the person really looks like. And so I think one needs to be very careful with that, because I think there's also a to me, there's also the issue of being respectful to the to the performers. Mm -hmm. And if you are using their nudity because it is them, not merely the character and you're doing it kind of willy nilly i think you're being disrespectful not merely to the character and possibly the audience but to the the performer the performer as well who they're putting themselves in a very vulnerable position but uh but yeah with with violence and gore i feel like it's a lot more of a gray area it's hard to say yeah um
1: because i think i think it is possible that there are movies that both of the, the filmmakers and the people watching it are wanting to uh, show and see the gore, respectively, mm-hmm. for bad reasons. Um, uh, yes. And so it's hard to say where do you draw that line because some of these horror movies can look almost the same to the
0: untrained eye, at least. Right, and that's where... I'm glad you, you brought up you know the untrained eye because, it, admittedly, in in saying that, you and i by implying that we have trained eyes uh you know it implies that we we know what we're talking about but to a certain extent we do uh, i've trained my eyes in school thank you very much there you go i have a i have a bachelor's degree in trained eyes um, <laughs> that's a joke of course uh, a minor in trained ears nice and so uh i don't have that so yeah, and that is a joke, by the way. I do stand. I'm these days. I do stand more by my film degree, but I understand that that doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you automatically know what you're talking about. But uh, but yes, I do think the idea of of sort of training yourself that goes back to well, quite frankly, the uh, slogan or whatever of uh, the podcast, which is movie talk for the discerning Christian. Mm-hmm. It requires discernment to figure out well what what do I think they're doing and that's a question that you can ask about anything uh, in film or art in general because you know if you're watching this is kind of my go-to these are my two go-to examples because they're examples that as far as I know no Christian ever tries to refute Saving Private Ryan and The Passion of the Christ incredibly gory not Mm -hmm. merely violent gory Mm -hmm. you know blood guts chewed up skin like it's all over the place and uh but it's done in well and there are some people who even say that like the that passion of the christ is reveling in that uh Mm -hmm. i haven't seen it in a while and so i i won't speak to that but either way it it's done as this is a really horrifying Thing mm-hmm. it's something that you don't enjoy seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the first twenty minutes of Saving Private Ryan, you you see that gore and it's heartbreaking, and you just feel so uneasy because you just realize, like, as as heroic as it is for like, oh, our soldiers are going into battle and they're willing to die. Wow, that's really something. And then you see them dying and what that actually looks like, and you mm-hmm. think, wow. Uh, I have tremendously, li- I have way more respect now because now I can visualize what that actually looks like. Mm. Not merely the hell of war, but, w- you know, when it's like, oh, he died in a war, that's very noble. This is what the fact of that is. Yeah. And so I think that violence is done with respect and with the right attitude towards violence, which is horror. And it's interesting because when we think of horror movies, I'd say nine out of ten of them do not look at violence with horror. I think they look at them with excitement and mm-hmm. a sense of fun, Yeah. even though the name of the of the genre is horror. <laughs> and so I think that's... And there's a recent episode of Battleship Pretension. I don't know if it'll be... Oh, it goes up tomorrow. But um, it's the Halloween episode and talking about the difference between suspense and horror. And horror, I think, has a lot to do with... Your instinctive reaction to something mixed with an intellectual uh, acknowledgement of something. Hmm. And, you know, to to go to like uh, movies like Dracula, you know, with Bela Lugosi, they're not frightening, you know. Mm -hmm. But the horror is there because the horror is this is somebody who drinks the blood of human beings Hmm. to sustain himself. (laughs) That's a that the fact of it is horrific.
1: Yeah. And I think especially with the older movies, the effect that it has on the audience has uh, diluted over time i think people might have been horrified at right. dracula uh, back in the day or um you and i recently watched the island of lost souls yeah. which is from the 30s and that's that still is pretty creepy actually but yeah. um uh, kyle anderson uh blogger for balancer pretension mm-hmm. was mentioning to i think he was saying that people got sick in the theaters and watching it back yeah. then. So that that's something that just over time uh, the things that frighten us, I think I think one they just change in general and two I think people become people do become desensitized to a point.
0: Absolutely. And um. so that's when you wind up with what, you know, kind of what we have now, which many people refer to as torture porn. Yeah. Which literally there's no you know, jump out and scare you moments, um, which that might be to its credit because I find some of those to be kind of cheap. Mm-hmm. Not all of them. It can be a, it can be a very real, uh, device and it can work within the dramatic confines of a story, but mostly it just feels like a cheap scare mm-hmm. because nine times out of 10, it's a red herring. It's a, it's a cat <laughs> or it's a friend yeah. who's like, Hey, how's it going? You know, that <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, you, in in a lot of like torture porn movies, and I, I I some people are uncomfortable with that phrase. I use it because it's a shorthand that people understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, movies like Hostel and Saw, Saw movies, and Wolf yeah. Creek and that sort of thing. Um, the uh, people know that that's what that means, and those movies they may actually understand the concept of horror in in the sense that I'm talking about, which is you're just sitting. And watching horrible things there's not a lot of they don't really dress it up uh, especially in something like Hostel having not seen it by the way but just mm. knowing, the, knowing the difference of, in story between that and like Saw Saw is much more stylized and the killer is able to do things that I'm pretty sure no human could ever do <laughs> but, um, but in Hostel it's very just kind of just gritty and just sort of there Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to speak too much about that because I, I haven't seen, yeah and no, I haven't know, seen film. any of them either. So, um, but that is sort of, but you know, you mentioned being desensitized to the point where now it really is just a function of sitting and watching horrible things happen to people and that you can, that it can still be stylized and the movies can still be, I guess in some sense good. Mm. Um, but you know, we're a long way from people, you know, throwing up at Island of Lost Souls. Yeah. So, um, so, so far it sounds like we've been kind of condemning of horror and I, Mm. and I don't want to give that impression, but I did want to sort of convey that it's a tricky genre. Yeah. The, the images they're using, the concepts they're dealing with are such that I'm not opposed to using gore. I'm not opposed to telling stories about vampires or even demons, Mm. provided you do it thoughtfully. Yeah, provided you don't do it haphazardly, because these are things that have an effect on people. I'm not going to say that someone watches a horror movie and then goes and slaughters their classmates or something, mm-hmm. but it can have an emotional impact on someone. You know, it's you. You read some of uh, you know Roger Ebert or or, or other critics as well um, who say you know uh, Leonard Malton was recently on uh, Doug Loves Movies saying that he whenever He gets, you know, invited to come to a, you know, sort of a torture porn movie. He sends a staffer. He Mm -hmm. does he doesn't, and he's to a point in his career where he doesn't have to go see everything. (laughs) And if there's something that he finds disturbing, he won't see it. Yeah. And that's interesting because he's a critic. It's what he's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And then Ebert goes in and just says, these movies just depressed me. There's nothing, there's nothing there. It's just. Mm -hmm. You know, and one could say that maybe the point is when you're watching horrible gore that you should be depressed. But at the same time, mm. like I think he, w- I think he's more depressed by the attitude about it than yeah. the actual fact of it.
1: I think there's sometimes when I, I think some horror movies can be condemned by being merely. I'm going to steal a phrase from uh, joy division and say atrocity exhibitions. <laughs> like, but I mean, I think that applies. Like some of it's just, here's a horrible thing. Can you believe that you're seeing it? Like, here's mm-hmm. something that just shocks you because it's so horrible. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like if, if a filmmaker is presenting something solely to get you to look at it and say, can you believe that you're looking at this? Look how horrible this is.
0: It's what Ebert calls a geek show. It literally yeah. is just someone biting the head off a chicken. And you're like, wow. Okay, now what? Yeah. and no, there is no now what. That's it. Yeah, that's
1: that's all there is to it. And I th- I think that's what a lot of horror movies are. Now, again, I, I have to admit I'm speaking a little bit out of ignorance because I don't watch very many horror movies because I am a chicken and I get scared by horror movies. You know what happened um, to you at a geek show?
0: I get my head get off. Get your head bit off. Yeah. I'd... <laughs> um, but... Uh, Yeah, and that's... And, by the way, good for you for admitting that sort of thing, Mm. you know? Um, Even when I was a kid, I'm just like, no, I'm not scared. By all means, let's go see arachnophobia. By the way, I'm terrified of spiders. (laughs) Oh, no, I I cannot see that movie. Oh, my gosh, it's... By the way, okay, tangent, and this might be me overreaching. Everyone should be afraid of spiders. They're horrible, I agree. They're horrible. Yeah. Snakes okay they're scary too I find spiders immensely more horrible because yeah. here's the thing I'm not worried about a snake getting into my apartment <laughs> I've seen a lot of spiders in my apartment yeah you know and so like and around my building it's a you know it's just a festival of, bla- of black widows and if you see a snake
1: if there's a snake in your house you're probably going to see it it's right. not going to like sneak into your bed and maybe bite you. Yeah, or like hide under a brick until you pick it up and then bite you. Right. That's what spiders do.
0: Yeah, the, everything about them is terrible. I mean, when you think about it, and sna- this is the deal with snakes too. In a fantasy movie, whenever they need, okay, we need a cr- a, a creature that is animalistic, but huge and thus tremendously horrifying. They always go with spider. Because everything about a spider is is predatory, and a horrible one or a a gigantic one is is that much more horrible. Because you're the fly, then (laughs) you get stuck in the webs, and watch out! Here comes the spider. Everyone should be scared of spiders. If you're not scared of spiders, you're doing something wrong. You know what? I'll I'll uh, I'll crib a line from like those bumper stickers and stuff. If you're not scared of spiders, you're not paying attention. (laughs) So <laughs> you're gonna have like
1: some some spider specialist email you after this episode and be like, actually, spiders do a lot of good for society.
0: That's fine. They also uh, so- society probably wasn't the right word.
1: I think the ecosystem might be more accurate. <laughs> spiders aren't out there like creating
0: jobs or something like that. They're <laughs> occupying Wall Street right now. <laughs> well, they probably are. But uh, the yeah, it, you know, hey, my an old friend of mine from Missouri. When I went back there in April to visit he showed me his brown recluse bite on his back it looked horrifying and he told me like stories about it ah uh, come on who needs horror movies when there's spiders in real life yeah oh i agree just go outside uh my my buddy our friend uh, wade was over having dinner and we were uh sitting over in my living room and then he saw a spider <laughs> over on the ceiling here and he goes, Oh, Hey, there's a spider. So I went and looked and it wasn't, it didn't look like a, you know, like a dangerous spider, but it still looked creepy cause all spiders look creepy. And then he, uh, and then I went back and sat down cause I couldn't really get to it. And then he's like, Oh, it's coming down. And we saw it wasn't crawling down. It was descending by way of a web. And it's like, yeah. that's the worst thing ever. And I killed it quite efficiently then. Good. So, uh, that was a tangent, but we're talking about horror, and again, nothing is more horrifying than spiders. All right, then let's back to business <laughs> so um, for future reference yeah I've, I've you heard it here first, <laughs> and it's unfortunate that this is the first place you heard it. You should have been hearing about this for years now then, so it sounded like it sounds like we've been condemning the horror genre that is not the case. I don't think I condemn any genre uh there may be some that I don't care for but um but yeah, and Josh isn't big into the genre for his own his own reasons and kind of the same for me like i was i'm i'm easily i guess you could say paranoid you know even with even with a a horror film that's purely just ridiculous fantasy like a Friday the 13th I mean that's not fantasy in like a Lord of the Rings way but it's just like okay it's this killer who wears a mask and by the way he can't be killed okay well that's a fantastical element and he walks around in the woods well okay he's probably the woods is not the San Fernando Valley and so but you know when I'm when I'm taking the trash out to my dumpster at three in the morning. Cause I stay up late. Uh, there's always part of me. It's just like, what if I turn the corner and there's just a guy standing there staring at me and then he just starts running at me. What do I do? Well, I mean, I run, but like, but you can't get away from him. You can't get away from it. You know, it just, it does put that kind of paranoia and I know that's not going to happen and I don't live my life as if there's always a guy around the corner, but uh, but it does put that in my, in my head, and part of me wonders, like, would I be better off if I hadn't seen these movies, and that's not in my head. I'm not quite so, you know, terrified all the time.
1: That seems like an interesting social experiment if there were to be someone to never see any horror movies or TV shows or something like that, whether they would be less frightened or more frightened by life.
0: That's true. That's, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's someone who'd be like, hey, these movies they put you on your guard and life's pretty rough sometimes. <laughs> so, um, cause I'm sure there are some people who instinctively are just like, okay, it's late at night. I have to park somewhere. I'm not going to park in this parking garage. You know what I mean? Just maybe because of silly horror, uh, you know, ideas, but still not, not the worst idea, not the worst, uh, instinct to mm-hmm. not park in an abandoned, uh, you know, parking garage. Mm-hmm anyway um but i did want to talk about you know i just said like i can't dismiss the genre because there have been a lot of really good horror movies and what i want to say from a christian point of view is that whether like major drama is is it's it's considered a genre but like when you when you think of what a genre is like there's You know, iconography, there's certain archetypes within a genre, and there really are no archetypes in the dramatic genre, Mm -hmm. nor are there really any archetypes in the comedic genre. Western, sci-fi, horror, fantasy, those are genres. Mm -hmm. You know, you can point to, you know, in Westerns, like the man in the black hat, tumbleweed, swinging doors, revolvers. Like, you can point to all of those. Those are almost... uh, they're very dependable things in that genre, mm-hmm. and then uh, and even within all those you can have comedy or drama in, exactly inside all of those, yes, and so what I will say is that and and you know for people who've listened to to Battleship retention, this is not an or just no movies in general this what I'm about to say is not a new concept, but the neat thing about working within a kind of an extreme genre like horror uh, or science fiction is that it allows you the freedom to explore certain concepts in a pretty bold way that doing it with straight up drama probably wouldn't allow you to do. I mean, it would allow you to, but people would be like, okay, this is preachy. But somehow you're not, if you're like scared or if you're on edge, you're not looking for preachy. Like you're not, that's not really on your radar because you're frightened. But as you walk away from it, the fear has faded, but the message has somehow remained. And that's, that's what the horror genre, you know, can be. And that's what we as Christians can get out of it is that there's a lot of uh, really good horror movies that much like any of the movies that I've talked about on the show, they have messages that we probably agree with and their way of, getting this across might be distasteful to you, but one could say that in some cases that might be the most effective delivery method for that, for that message or that commentary or something mm-hmm. like that. And so I actually have a, a, just a little list of some horror movies that I really love and, uh, and sort of some of the things that some of the themes that they explore. Um, and, uh, and Josh, I believe I asked you to make a, a list as well. Mm-hmm. And so, but i I'll, I'll, I'll kick us off. With, um, okay, so something very simple, uh, the movie Alien, which mm. it's a sci-fi movie. It's mo- it's very horror as well. I'd say it's more horror than sci-fi.
1: I always forget to think of it as horror. I think I, in my head it comes to me as, as sci-fi first, but it's got all the elements of, uh, right. of a horror film. It's of a got, slasher film, really.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, creature feature, slasher film, like just this thing that you don't know how, you don't know what the rules are for it. You don't know how it can be stopped. You only know that it's picking you off one at a time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, um, so for those that don't know, and I can't imagine that's the case, alien is about a, uh, takes place in the future and a, a crew of, uh, minors get a dis- distress no, that's signal. minors with an E. Oh yes. I'm know. sorry. Yeah, no, it's not <laughs> a bunch of six year olds who are somehow captaining a, a, a ship. And so, yes, minors. Thank you. Minors. Um, no minors minors is the children, mm-hmm. and so we won't see any kids until aliens, so they mostly come out at night mostly mostly so um, <laughs> the uh, so these these miners get a distress signal, so they go to this planet and one of them gets uh, infected in a rather horrifying way uh, or rather impregnated, and so they they take off, and so now they're just in this ship, and then uh, an alien tears out of this guy and it grows very quickly and it starts killing them one by one. Mm-hmm. Now, what on earth could we get out of that? Like <laughs> as far as commentary goes and, and the commentary is a very sci-fi type commentary, but mm-hmm. one of the things uh, about it is that the, you come to find out that the distress signal was uh, sent. Well, there's there was the distress signal but the company that owns you know the this ship and you get the impression that it is a you know huge corporation that owns a lot of things including the, this mining company and that they actually were anticipating uh, this alien life form and they wanted to get it for their bioweapons division which I'm fascinated in in almost in a lot of like sci-fi movies there's always like a, they want a bioweapons division and they always pick something that no one could ever control. And part of me is just like, man, how much, how much fighting is there in the future? Like after a while, you have to assume only one person is one, but that's neither here nor there. And so, uh, so the, the corporation sends them in and you come to realize that, uh, that they the corporate attitude is we need to get this alien and the crew members are expendable. Like they specifically say expendable mm. anything to get this alien. And so, what is what? One of the things that the film explores is that while we're all—and in, this includes the audience—while we're all worried about this alien, and of course, the alien is the immediate threat, we're distracted from the much more dangerous threat, which is a corp- a corporation that puts its own interests ahead of human life, quite literally. Mm-hmm. And so, the alien is merely doing what comes naturally to it, mm-hmm. whereas these other people who have a great deal of power and are greedy and selfish, they're the ones that we really need to be concerned about. But sometimes we get distracted by this other thing, which is very dangerous, but really that's sort of more of a symptom Mm. than it still needs to be disposed of. Otherwise you're going to get killed. But what is much more frightening is this thing that this entity that has way more power than this alien specifically. Mm-hmm. And so that's you know I've I've really I'm going to be summing up way too much. Like, <laughs> you know, I wrote a paper about alien. I wrote a paper about, you know, Blade Runner and all that. So you can go into much more detail about this. So I'm going to be summing all these things up quite a bit and making maybe over oversimplified, but you know, for what appears to be kind of a simple monster movie, that's a pretty in-depth theme and one that I think Christians can get on board with
1: yeah and there's there's one of the things that I love about this movie is it does have it's got so many levels too, because I feel like that's um that's like the story level where we uh like what we can get out of the story level, and then there's the whole uh just all the metaphors about there's a lot of sexual metaphor and mm-hmm. and stuff about specifically the sexual revolution, which is interesting. But um, at the same time, there's, a, there's been a lot of theory about it, and apparently the, the writer of the script was on board with this, so I think it's legitimate. But um, fears about like being consumed by a, a female, because the, the alien is a, is a female, and, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, isn't isn't is an, is an interesting. There's a, lot of, a lot of term papers been written on that one. I don't know if. That was some of yours as well. Uh, I don't know how much we want to delve into that,
0: <laughs> right? You know, and the you know shape of the alien's head and all that sort of yeah. thing, and and just constant in some way, shape, or form penetration mm-hmm. and in and invasive. One could say almost rape-like yeah. uh, ways of disposing of people mm-hmm. and ways of imp- uh, impregnation, yeah, and that sort of thing. So yeah, there's a lot. You know, there's a lot going on. And that's beyond merely uh, the story. That's just imagery. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And that's that's another thing that that I think a really great horror movie, the ones that really stand the test of time, they will have thematic elements underneath the story, but also just there's usually a really strong command of the of visual mm-hmm. storytelling to the point where someone can we are being communicated. Something's being communicated to us, but it's, but it's not being said at all. Mm. And that, to me, is something that that genre movies in general and horror very specifically uh, does very well. Yeah. Which, uh, my, if you don't mind, I, that might take me to the first one that's on my list, which is The
1: Shining. Okay. Um, and that's one that is driven a lot by the imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the horror elements, the things that are frightening in that, are come specifically from the imagery. Because there's not a whole lot of... Uh, even though that's a horror movie, there's not a whole lot of the uh, the quote unquote popcorn on the ceiling moments, right? Where something jumps out and uh, and like surprises you all of a sudden. There's a lot of these slow eerie things. I think one of the best um, examples of that that I heard uh, someone talking about is is uh, one of the first scenes where uh, Jack Nicholson's character, after he's kind of gone mad, discovers his wife looking through his his notes and his papers and instead of having him pop into the scene somehow they put him on a on a rolling surface i think Mm -hmm. and they were looking at the wife from afar the camera's looking at the wife from afar and his shoulder slowly slides into the view like he slowly comes in so that you know he sees her he's caught her he's watching her yeah and um i don't know i feel like i i always enjoyed how how effective that moment is but all that to say there's a lot of things in the imagery that are both frightening, but suggest something deeper, which in the shining
0: is uh, this man's descent into madness. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yes, there's, there's a lot of like horrific, like realizations, like you realize he's been crazy a lot longer than we thought he was crazy Mm -hmm. because he's there to write uh, a book and then you see what he's written and as far as you can tell this is that's all, all he's, he's ever written been writing <laughs> is uh the phrase all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy over and over and over for you know hundreds of pages. Yeah. And so um so that's a nice little that is a like a real horror moment like I think a lot there there's there's a lot to be said from a horror standpoint about the horror of realization of thinking things were one way you find out they're quite another and oh my gosh, they're much worse than I thought. Mm. Um, cause you realize like, oh my gosh, my, my father has gone crazy. Eh, he's been crazy. <laughs> and now, and in realizing, so you're just like, oh, there's only so much I am going to be able to do to stop him because mm. there's not like I can appeal to something from before we got here. Mm. And so, um, and yeah, and I will bring up uh, another film that takes place in the snow, uh, which is called The Thing. And that's on my list as well. And uh, it's it's a film that, it, you know, there's a lot of really grisly uh, imagery, but the film really is about a certain type of paranoia and just a total lack of trust and mm-hmm. just never knowing who is with you, who's against you, not really even being able to trust yourself mm-hmm. and just the... like the only it's, it's about another like uh, alien life form that comes to earth and is able to uh, mimic or rather uh, imitate uh, other organisms completely. And it basically ingests them and is able to imitate them. And, uh, and so it's this uh, little research compound in uh, Antarctica and they find this thing and it might have imitated some of them. It might not have. And the, when, we get like special effects shots of the thing itself that's quite horrifying but a lot of the true paranoia comes with not knowing who's on your side mm-hmm. and i like that a lot of the real terror has le- has nothing to do with just seeing horrific images yeah and i think the more horrific the images i think they serve the larger terror which is I'm seeing people who look like me but in fact they might be this terrible thing that I have that is imprinted on my brain forever but they look like me and now and now I don't know what mm-hmm. you know because the more her- horrifying that image the less you'll trust this person unless mm-hmm. you want to and
1: it, yeah and I think that for that film at least justifies the horrific quality of of the things that we see because if you don't see how horrible it is then you don't understand how frightening it is. Right. You don't understand the paranoia that these people have. Because if it's like, oh, it's kind of a scary thing, but, you know, maybe we can just knock it over. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's not so much, uh, it's not so frightening. That's actually kind of the way I feel about some of these movies where it's all uh, CGI. Is like, I don't I don't believe CGI because I know what it is. So when I see something horrible, I'm like, eh, you know.
0: Yeah. You, it's... It's hard to, and that's why I, I didn't see the the new thing movie, which I hear is pretty good, mm-hmm. but I hear there's a lot of CGI, and even if it's good CGI, there's just something about realizing, yeah. I mean, if that was just rendered a little a little po- a little more poorly, it wouldn't be quite as much of a threat, and that's not what you should be thinking when uh, when watching a horror movie. Whereas, and I, I like I'm a big fan of the practical effect when when robert shaw is in the shark's head in jaws Mm -hmm. robert shaw's in a shark head you know what i mean and just Mm -hmm. it's not something that's added later it's right there and he can touch it and is touching it and it's touching him it's eating him and uh and i feel like that makes a, a big difference right there as well um but uh So I also want to, I want to really quickly just run through some real quick because uh, George Romero with his uh, zombie movies or rather his dead movies um, always tackles something. And of course, few things are more grisly than zombie movies because, you know, they eat, uh, first off, they look gross, but then they're like when they eat people you know we often see like the guts come flying out and it's really quite horrifying um, and in any zombie movie there is there's a an underlying thing about death and just a fear of death and this idea that it will get you eventually no matter how hard you try these things will come for you and then you will not merely be gone but you will be one more dead thing and um, That will that is then coming for other living people. And so there's a there's an underlying fear of death, which I think all of us have. And I think even even Christians who, you know, we have a hope of heaven and reconciliation and that sort of thing. I think there's still I think there's still like a worry about the fact of death and the fact that like this human body is going to decay and become quite gross. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then beyond
1: that, with the the zombie genre specifically, there's the idea of um, becoming a zombie and essentially losing the ability to use your intellect and becoming part of a mindless faceless throng, which, um, you know, quite literally happens in the zombie movies, but might, might be, suggesting something like uh, something that could happen from an, uh, an overly propagandistic government or something like that a, a, an entity that being, being sucked into a group where you don't can't think for yourself anymore
0: and that and that speaks to a movie that uh, that you just saw for the first time called Dawn of the Dead mm-hmm. which is uh, Romero's sequel to night of the Living Dead and in that it takes place in a shopping mall and the reason the shopping mall is overrun is that the zombies just instinctively go there. There's really no reason for zombies to be anywhere unless there is a source of food, hmm. and as we see in the mall, there isn't one until our protagonists get there. But the zombies already—the the mall's already overrun with zombies. Why? And they comment like, "Maybe this is just where they instinctively know to come," and. And so you see like the zombie just kind of walking through the mall while the goofy music plays and <laughs> and all of that, and you see them going up the escalators and and it really you know i I'm probably overstating a little bit, but it doesn't look too unlike any mall that you'll find is just people walking slowly, kind of looking around in a bit of a not a daze but just sort of not really focusing on anything because you kind of are interested in anything that might be there um and so yeah just sort of not having any sort of intellect and only just being part of a group that says i want to consume things Mm -hmm. and that's it and so like there's a there's a major you know consumerist uh, critique in dawn of the dead and then in night of the living dead there are some there are some interesting racial uh discussions Mm -hmm. part for several reasons, not the least of which is because the protagonist is a black man. And even in a survival situation where he clearly is the most able to do things, people are constantly doubting him. And if he were white, they probably wouldn't, they probably would have acknowledged him as the leader, Mm -hmm. but because he's black and nobody ever says it, no one ever says you're black. So I don't trust you, but it is very noticeable. Yeah. Um, and then and then there's some shots at the end of the film where you know you see all these rednecks and they kind of and they string up the zombies pretty quickly and easily and just sort of let them like writhe around and the black character actually is killed at the end not by zombies but by these rednecks they think he's a zombie but in fact he's like not merely the sole survivor but he's like the hero yeah. he he wants to save everybody else um but they kill him thinking that he's something that he isn't and spoilers qu- yeah sorry everybody but also frankly uh, that's pretty common actually from a racial standpoint like you hear all the time about someone being sh- you know uh frankly a black man being shot because they think he has a gun and it turns out he doesn't and those police officers are usually you know uh, disciplined and that's that's good I, I understand their. I understand where they're coming from but it, it kind of goes back to that idea is like if that guy was white and was reaching for something would they have shot so quickly um, and I don't know if I don't know if that's a yes or a no mm-hmm. but the film sort of brings up this I that idea Yeah, um, and so you know, you wouldn't think that just, I think these days when we think of horror, we don't instinctively think of a film that is going to go as in depth about these sorts, these sorts of things. Um, but, uh, but it does, and it's allowed to, and it's able to, I think maybe in a more in depth way because it's such an extreme thing. Like we're, while we're all concerned about flesh eating zombies, there's major racism going on. We don't think about the consumerism aspect of our lives and, you know, all these other things. And, in Day of the Dead, there's a sort of an anti militarism uh, aspect. Day of the Dead. This is another. Did another I, oh, Day of the of Dead. Them. Yes, I'm sorry. That's the one that he made after Dawn of the okay. Dead. And uh, and even with his his later Dead movies, many of which are not very good, but uh, he made Land of the Dead, which kind of deals with certain class warfare and actually, even in my opinion, some uh, foreign policy issues, <laughs> uh, where these uh, these very prideful and arrogant uh, American type characters. They go out into where the zombies are and they're very careless and they wind up actually accidentally like leaving one of the guns behind. That's not a big deal. You know, zombies don't know how to use guns, but the zo- uh, one zombie eventually figures out how and you know, when, and then they, they all sort of take aim at uh, this city where their tormentors are and the city, by the way, the, the people who run the city are located in a very tall tower. And so one could say that's kind of a foreign policy thing. We go over metal arrogantly and wind up emboldening, you know, angering and emboldening. And in some cases, arming people that we really, that are sort of, that are our opponents. And then they take, then they take aim at us and zero in on a tower. Um, and part and I remember when I first saw that with with friends they're like I think you're reading too much into it. I was like if it wasn't if it was a different filmmaker I yeah, might agree with, with you. George Romero I, th- he seems to always have some kind of agenda like that um but uh, and I and I only have a few more to get to but I'll but I'll hold off on that um are there any because uh, you know you've mentioned that you haven't seen a lot of horror movies what are some horror movies that you have seen that you like um and that you know you would recommend but also that they they you know, have perhaps some deeper meanings and that sort of thing. Um there honestly aren't a whole lot that
1: I do like. Mm-hmm. But um the the Shining is definitely one. Um I saw relatively recently saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of really good filmmaking going on in that movie. I don't mm-hmm. know I, I think I could still be up in the air over how much of it I could condone because a lot of it might might be just sort of showing horrible things for the sake of horrible mm-hmm. things. But uh, it does explore, as I think a lot of the horror movies do, uh, evil mm-hmm. and people who are evil for seemingly no reason and how regular people would, or even can react to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there is an interesting element in horror movies where a lot of them do that, where you, that you, you are placed in the character's shoes and you say, well, what would I do if I was, right. if I was here? And so from that perspective, I think that's an interesting concept to look at. Um, but I'm not sure whether the film goes, too far in in uh, whether it it glorifies its its violence and i i honestly don't know whether i whether i feel like it does or not
0: my vote is no uh partially because strange as it sounds texas chainsaw massacre the 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 1974 yeah, the i believe one. um with uh, directed by toby hooper i think it actually has a lot in common with psycho and that There's more violence in your mind than is actually on screen. There's actually not that much. Yeah. The the fact of everything is quite horrifying, Mm -hmm. and you know that, oh, this guy is wearing other people's skin. That's horrifying, but you don't see him skin people. Yeah. You don't see him jam a chainsaw into anybody. You don't... There's a scene where he puts somebody up, like, on a butcher hook, but you don't see the butcher hook go in. You just know that it's happening. Yeah. And I... And that's interesting to me because, first off, with a name like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, (laughs) uh, you expect a lot of blood and gore. And there's disturbing imagery, but there is a difference between the two. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that Toby Hooper is somebody who understands that the human imagination can sometimes be immensely worse than what he could ever show
1: yeah and i think a lot of the there's other great examples that all through film maybe the most famous of which is jaws and the shark even Mm -hmm. though uh people who know may know that that was mostly unintentional because the shark didn't work so much of the time Mm -hmm. but uh that's one of the reasons that the movie is so effective is because we're not seeing the shark all the time we're not seeing it eating people all the time it's just it's more the idea of it being there and Mm -hmm. um what we can concoct in our imaginations i think it's the same thing sort of in in the thing is that you never really get a you you don't really get a good look at exactly what it is right and and it does have different sort of iterations of itself so it could be that maybe what we are seeing is what it is but you're unclear on what exactly what exactly what exact form it takes Mm -hmm. and how and why and so there's a lot of that um that you have to concoct in your own imagination which um can be much more frightening
0: yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up that aspect of Jaws and just this idea of, like, fear of the unknown or more specifically the idea that – and and for, for good or ill, you know, maybe making people more paranoid in their everyday life is a good thing. Maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but this idea of, you know, it's interesting. Like, Jaws takes place – I understand from a plot standpoint why this has to happen. But Jaws takes place during – summer vacation time when people are at their most leisurely mm-hmm. when they when their guard is most down mm-hmm. um, and admittedly with the thing their guard is not necessarily down but they're amongst people that they live with they all live with each other they know each other mm-hmm. and and yet there's something that that sneaks up on them you know and what's interesting is the person the the people that they always suspect of being the thing aren't and the ones that they were sure was fun. You know, the people that they sure were fine. They're, they're the thing. And with jaws, it's like, Oh, this is relaxing. This is so nice. And then something comes out, comes up that you, that you absolutely were not expecting. And that's what gets you, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if anything, horror films teach you not to be complacent, <laughs> you know? And it's, it's worth noting that, like so many slasher movies and horror movies in general take place when people are on vacation mm-hmm. because that's when they are. Cause we're trained that like, okay, we're safe. We're relaxing. There are certain, you know, nothing can get me cause I'm on vacation. Mm-hmm. You know, the stress is in my everyday life. I'm now not stressed and thus other worries maybe melt away that would normally be. There. Yeah. And a lot of the people who
1: get, uh, get, Killed, oftentimes, are the ones who are least
0: uh, concerned about right. their surroundings. Um, okay, so we're at an hour, and so I want to try and uh, wrap up hour and 15. Here we go. Should I bring up one more thing that maybe you were going to go here already, but right uh, I think it might be good to talk about either
1: way? As you mentioned before people talk about horror movies of being demonic or satanic. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, Maybe we should talk about movies that... Specifically reference or show uh, demonic powers or satanic powers mm-hmm. and uh, how those are treated, and I don't know.
0: Well, uh, of course, the first one that people would want me to bring up is The Exorcist, which you actually have not seen and do seen. not want to see.
1: Not particularly.
0: Do you not want to see it because you are worried that it will? You know, frighten you, or is it because of the demonic element that you're like, I just need to stay away from this? Because that's not an unheard of thought with Christians. Right, no. For me, it's more that the
1: one begets the other. The fact that it does deal with demonic things, to me, that frightens me a lot more than a lot of the horror movies that I've seen that don't scare me so much. Like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I can say it's a scary movie, but doesn't really scare me. Or uh, Halloween. Like, a lot of these horror movies, We've we've had this conversation personally mm-hmm. before, but a lot of movies that are a, uh, where the horror comes from a specific, like, real-life situation. Mm-hmm. That is a lot scarier for some people. For me, it's not. For me, the things that are scarier are the supernatural things that seem to have no explanation or I could have no control over. So, movies like The Exorcist, which is about demonic possession, that's something that, frightens me and that i would have no control over and especially with that specifically with demonic possession that's something that i believe exists and happens in the real world Mm -hmm. um so that's that's kind of like the uh the uh apex of frightening things because like you can't do anything about it it's supernatural you have no idea how it works or what you can do about it and it
0: actually exists like it could really happen and I think that yeah, and it's weird because supernatural things, and I don't know, maybe this means I'm a bad Christian. Um, <laughs> they don't frighten me, and I, I and I I believe in demons and mm. such, and so like, so I don't know why that doesn't frighten me. Mm. Um, well, honestly, it shouldn't frighten me because of what I know
1: from a Christian standpoint, which is right. that we as Christians cannot be harmed by demons. Like we have them. Mm-hmm power over them like uh we through jesus we have dominion over them and so it's not something to be feared Mm -hmm. and yet it is still something i fear and it's the same thing we all fear death even though we know like
0: as christians that death is the promise of uh of union with god and so i will bring up the exorcist and in doing so i might wind up kind of spoiling it are you okay with that because you say you're never going to see it i think i know what happens in it mostly okay well, it is, you know, it is rather disturbing. I, I like it. I don't, uh, I, I think it's a very good movie. For some reason, I don't, it's not one I seek out a lot. It doesn't frighten me. I like it more as a drama than, <laughs> than as a horror movie because there's a lot of really interesting characters in it um, and a lot of really great actors as well, um, you know, along with Ellen Burstyn, you've Max got Fancito. Max Monsito and my guy. Lee J. Cobb is not it and you know it's good cast good characters very well written and very well directed it's just a good movie in general Um, but uh, you know and we have this little girl who is possessed by uh, you know a demon that is like very you know playful and and really you know it's a it's a really horrifying concept and the way the demon is written is also very horrifying Um, but at the end of the day, good wins through self-sacrifice. Um, the older priest played by spoilers for, um, the exorcist came out in 1973, but, um, the older priest played by Max von Cito. He went, cause he's very old and his heart gives out a- in the middle of like the exorcism and he actually dies. The thing does not kill him. Like, the, the demon doesn't kill him. He does die as a function of this thing, but it doesn't harm him. And he has no real concern that it harms him, that it's going to harm him. And that's actually something I find interesting, is that his character, you know, there are scenes where the, the, he's, going th- he's going through the process of the exorcism, and then the demon, like, does that vomit thing, where it vomits like pea soup, like, right on his face, and he just keeps going. And it's actually a very interesting depiction of of like heroism and like, like a man of faith who sticks to his guns sticks. Yeah. And just, and is, is kind of unshakable. And, and there are moments when like big things are happening and he, he has, it's like sort of a strategic retreat where he and the other priest, the, the younger priest with more doubt leave the room, regroup and then come back in. Uh, but he dies and now it's up to the younger priest who is, who really, he's got nothing but doubts. Um, but he still believes in this and ultimately he says, come into me and, and it does. And then he throws himself out a window and dies. And so to him, it's really, you know, it's by the end, I think he actually gets a great deal of, of confidence and understands what it is he has to do and it's you know ultimately a film about innocence being saved through the self-sacrifice of somebody else Mm -hmm. and and it's weird because you know from a from a spiritual standpoint you know demons are always are shown way more often than god and when god is shown by the way he looks like george burns or (laughs) uh, morgan freeman you know and so and that's you know it's almost always in a comedic sense you know there is really only one instance where we see the power of God that I can think of, and that's in Raiders of the Lost Ark when he stands up to evil, <laughs> and wins by a substantial margin uh, <laughs> against those Nazis. But uh, you know, I do think it is kind of a shame that um, that demons are so demons and Satan are so often shown, and I think because they're, for lack of a better term, sexier, they kind of have this, like, you know if you'll excuse me, badass quality to them. Mm -hmm. And so, and because, you know, evil can be depicted in a really terrifying way and good. You can only depict it. So in so many different ways, you know? And so I think in horror movies and in movies in general, I think it's much easier to show that like, Oh, these demons, they look huge. They look insurmountable. You can't stop them. And then the representation of, God or Christianity is like a frail human who like doubts the whole thing and mm-hmm. doubts their own abilities and that sort of thing. And so it is kind of a, uh, it is kind of a shame that that's what happens. But, uh, but yeah, in, in movies like the exorcist, you, you do see, I think positive representations of Christianity in the Max von Sydow character. Mm-hmm. Um, and to a lesser extent but still a very palpable extent uh, in the end of the film the uh, I think his name is Jason Miller I'm not a hundred percent on that uh, the younger priest character yeah. and uh, it's just a I, I like the exorcist and but I could understand why someone would come away from that saying that, like, it's a film that makes it look as though Satan has all the power and God doesn't. Mm. I could see someone saying that. Mm. Um, And I don't really I haven't seen a lot of. And then there's the omen, which I have never. I I don't think it's scary. And I never thought it was a particularly good movie. I've seen part of it. (laughs) And (laughs) it's TV did you find it scary did you stop watching because you thought it was scary
1: no I I think I stopped watching because I didn't see it from the beginning and oh, okay. I have trouble watching a movie from like the middle on I feel like it's kind of pointless
0: there are some interesting um, moments in it um and some interesting ideas in it because um, it's about the the birth of the antichrist and all right. that um and then Rosemary's Baby, I think, is a, is much more effective in dealing with the birth of the Antichrist. That's order. one
1: I have not seen, but would still like to see. I'm I'm interested in seeing that.
0: That one is a horror movie, I think, on principle, but it doesn't. It's more of a suspense supernatural thriller yeah. type. Yeah. But um, but I think I, I don't, one thing I was going to say is that
1: with a lot of these movies that deal with with demons and and Satan, um, I think we can approach it much in the same way that we do movies that have violence or language or, or well violence or, or, killing probably is a better, yeah. is a better example because when that's presented as a bad thing, right? Then I think we can get behind that as Christians. And I think in most of these movies, because it's, because demons and Satan are used to be something horrifying, to be something horrible, they're clearly shown as bad. They're never a positive thing. Right. Um, and so I think in that same way, it it is truthful about, um, demonic powers and so there's
0: a i think there's a value to be seen in that and actually that'll bring me back to the thing that i sort of want to end on and this is going to be a quick quick thing um a subgenre of horror films um well okay i'll, I'll go through this okay i wanted to sort of address some of the classic um like universal horror movies mm-hmm. um and sort of talk about as I mentioned, they're not really that horrifying anymore. But mm. um, but that doesn't mean that they're not exploring, you know, some major human issues. And so with Frankenstein, and and many of them are based, by the way, on you know classic novels yeah. as well. Um, with Frankenstein, you of course have a certain like a, a fear of death, but also in the character of of Doctor of Frankenstein you have, I think, a demand for control. And nothing is more... We're all going to die. That is, like, that's the thing we can't control. I mean, we have to go to the bathroom and stuff like that. But, like, <laughs> that is the inevitability. It's the one thing that we all we all end up there. No matter how much money we have, no matter what race we are, what gender we are, it doesn't matter. We all die. And that inevitability can be i think depressing to some people and so in the character of dr frankenstein we have him wanting to confront the one thing that we all not even necessarily fear but that we all acknowledge as this is the thing that we can't help and in doing so you know he says you know now i know what it's like to be god because he has control over death Mm -hmm. and you know and that's and that goes back to you know Oh, go ahead.
1: And also the, just that he creates life mm-hmm. in in two different ways in dealing with both life and, in,
0: and with death. He is trying to be God. He's mm-hmm. playing God. And so, uh, so, you know, that's Frankenstein is kind of talking about that, but also the consequences of those actions. You know, mm-hmm. the Frankenstein monster, there's a reason that he's very sympathetic, more so than dr frankenstein who who turns into becomes sympathetic Mm -hmm. in the first and second film but um but frankenstein's monster he knows this isn't the way it's supposed to be yeah yeah and in bride of frankenstein i I find that move i it's hard to know which one i like more i like both of them quite a bit um in fact i love both of them but uh in bride of frankenstein as far as the 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 monsters arc he has an interesting thing where his whole thing is we belong dead. And that's a very, that's kind of a dark concept. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, very well played. So with uh, the invisible man, which you haven't seen and you're going to see very soon. um, I've, I I love the book by HG Wells and I love the movie uh, directed by James Whale, who did Frankenstein and bride of Frankenstein. I have read the book of the invisible man. It's yeah. And, in both cases, you know, it's a guy who creates this invisibility formula or a theorem or whatever and becomes invisible and then slowly goes insane. And to me, the, I mean, from a sci-fi standpoint, you know, it could be like just the general mad scientist who's dabbling in things that he shouldn't be and that sort of thing. But to me, the un- and something underneath is what happens with lack of accountability and invisibility really is no one sees you Mm -hmm. obviously but also no one sees what you do and Mm -hmm. if no one sees what you do how will you act yeah and that's actually something the movie hollow man is not very good but it understands that like this guy cannot be seen so yeah he'll probably do some pretty perverted things Mm -hmm. and you know, this goes back to episode number two with, you know, about Frost, Nixon and Quiz Show, which is this idea of getting away with things. If you knew that n- there are no eyes on you, mm-hmm. would you still do what you do? Yeah. Would, you st- would you obey every law that you obey? Or would you probably kind of do what you want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that I've been thinking about lately in regards to the Invisible Man. Because it's always like, why does he go insane? Yes, it could be that, this formula is going to his head. But I think it's also like when you are accountable only to yourself, mm, you kind of lose perspective on what is right. And you only know what you want to do. Yeah. You could say it's a power that man is not meant to have, I guess. Yeah. And, and that's, and I think that's a very Christian concept is being accountable and and that sort of thing. Um, Uh, with the Wolfman and werewolf movies in general, I've I've I I have a love for werewolf movies when they're done well um, because it's all. And I did an episode on the the recent uh, Joe Johnston film, The Wolfman, uh, and just about you know sort of our carnal nature and letting go and how people say that that equals freedom to just sort of let go. You know, much like the Invisible Man, to just mm-hmm. let go of these hang ups from society, man. <laughs> Yes, if you want to do that, then by all means, um, just letting go of that and just giving into your animal nature, but that ultimately that will wind up in the destruction of people you love and probably yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we end, I want to end on Dracula and vampire movies cause they're Nosferatu. big and Nosferatu um, symphony of terror. That's what I like to call symphony. it. Symphony. And, uh, vampires of course huge these days werewolves to a lesser extent but vampires are huge and they are movies like Twilight and shows like you know True Blood Vampire Vampire Diaries Diaries. yeah Um, they are targeted frequently by Christian groups that say like well you know vampires have made a pact with Satan and now they're being really glorified and I think perhaps they are in like the Twilight series although it should be noted that the character uh, the main vampire character Edward his human girlfriend like wants to be a vampire and he for a good I don't remember I've not read any of the books this is based totally on what my wife has told me but um, I don't remember if she eventually becomes a vampire your wife well she is she is a vampire she's already Oh, here sorry she's sucking the life out of me am I right that's not true that's a terrible joke I hate jokes like that thanks there Henny Youngman (laughs) and so um that is a joke i love my wife just throwing that <laughs> she's out she's not
1: an actual vampire i no. met her she does not seem to be a vampire i suppose you'd know better than i She's wouldn't. pretty
0: pale but that's just because she's a that? redhead well, that's true so um so i don't know if the i don't remember if the main care if the 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 uh, i think the character's name is bella from uh twilight i don't remember if she becomes a vampire but i do know that her vampire boyfriend doesn't want her to be one like he recognizes that this is not good what he is mm-hmm. and so it's weird what she wants he won't let her be that because she wants him to turn her into a vampire it's kind of creepy um, but he says no yeah and which uh, i think uh, that's
1: one of the flaws that i have with well it's one of many problems that i have with with right. those movies is those movies are clearly um, uh, glorifying is the wrong word that I'm thinking of. Uh, they're they're making it look like the vampires are like wonderful. They're right teenagers. They're super attractive <laughs> when they in, instead of uh, when they go into the sunlight, they don't die. They sparkle.
0: And I'm actually, the sparkling thing, maybe not, but I'm actually kind of okay with that idea that they get more attractive because of the way he describes it. He says, we get more attractive to bring people to us so that we can victimize them. Right. And that... that. uh that's not well i have problems with that but
1: that's not the the main problem that i was just mm-hmm. gonna bring up was that the, the movie's tr- clearly trying to say look how cool they are and then when you have your lead character say oh no we're not really that cool yeah. but you know everyone still thinks it's cool it and seems like trying. false humility exactly and it- <laughs> and everyone you know the movies are trying to draw people in by having them look so cool and they want all the people who love those books want to be like them Mm -hmm. as Bella does and so you can say like oh no really it's really bad for you but then like hey look how cool it is look how how good we are at baseball (laughs) that's really in the Twilight movie for those of you who don't uh...
0: and as we all know vampires are good at baseball and werewolves are good at basketball (laughs) and wrestling um and apparently, uh, what is it, Lacrosse on the MTV show? Anyway, um, I don't know, I heard that on the Paul Goebbels show. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and so it's, so the Twilight series, you know, they're, they're making vampires into something a little bit different, but like on Vampire Diaries and True Blood, it's, they still acknowledge that what vampires are at their core is wrong, mm-hmm. which is they are feasting on the blood of innocent people people who aren't willingly giving their blood and thus the vampire is preying upon them. Mm -hmm. And to me, and this, this actually kind of goes back to that Wolfman episode and specifically the companion film Ravenous, which is not about vampires, but it is about consuming other people for your own good. Um, And the, the thing about vampires and the character of Dracula is that he's, he kind of lives this very lavish lifestyle but to keep it going he has to always put himself first and other people second they literally are a form of sustenance mm-hmm. to him he doesn't see them as equals certainly he only sees them as below him and i've to the point where one could say it's an addiction at that point he can't live without doing this to other people yeah. and i feel and i i remember years ago i i had written a uh, an online review of uh, shadow of the vampire in which that vampire he is villainous and he does kill people, but he really hates himself and wants to be dead, but he can't be because of what he is Mm -hmm. and choices that he has made throughout his life. And I find that uh, interesting because to me, that's, that's like a really good metaphor for sin that choosing yourself over and over again Maybe in smaller choices, maybe in bigger choices, but if you always pick yourself and what's good for you or what's best, well, what you think is best for you, Mm -hmm. eventually you will turn into a monster who only sees other people as what they can do for him, how they can sustain him Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. So, um, so that's, I think there's a, a lot of really interesting metaphors in, uh, vampire films but of course lately they've become any number of things but Mm -hmm. if you go back to a lot of the classic vampire films and And into the book as well yeah you will find uh a really you know it's it's interesting because it almost all in like bram stoker's dracula the the francis ford coppola movie like it starts with a rejection of christ and then he becomes a vampire and I'd say, yeah, that, and I, I'm, I feel like, yeah, that's probably about right. <laughs> you know, Christ is about spilling his blood voluntarily mm-hmm. for you and you reject that. You would rather take somebody else's blood for yourself and that yeah. sort of thing. So just,
1: yeah, I guess you could almost think of vampires as a type
0: of antichrist as it were. Yeah. And so, and, and I think, tra- I think tragically so. Yeah. Because, you know, the good ones I think acknowledge that. They only live like they can only live like this for so long before it's just like, yeah, this is horrible. I don't (laughs) like this at all. But uh, anyway, so. um, So I think we're going to end there. And my hope is that, you know, that you if you're somebody who, you know, doesn't like horror movies, that's actually that's okay. Maybe certain imagery bothers you. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But to dismiss it as a genre as having no. No artistic. What was that? Nothing to offer. No artistic or maybe even moral uh, merit. That's that's not true. It's just it need you know it needs to walk carefully because there's a lot of horror movies that do that have this terrible imagery for its own sake. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, but there's a lot that are very good and they actually have something to say. And chances are that something they have to say is something that we would agree with. Mm -hmm. So just wanted to throw that out there. Um, and, I'll go, and I'll go ahead and end it. So um, next week, or rather next episode, but it will actually, I think, be a week from now, um, we will have a guest, a guy named Dan Paris, who uh, directed a documentary called Give a Damn. And so we'll be asking him about that. I think I'll post a, a, the, the trailer for it on the website so you can uh, check it out. And uh, in the meantime, you can go to, uh, speaking of that website... It's uh, morethanonelesson.com. You can email me, Tyler at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me uh, on Twitter at morelessons. Uh, josh, where can people uh, find you? Can you can uh, follow me on
1: Twitter at the Josh Long or at the Josh Long, if that's easier to understand. Indeed. Um, and you can now email me at josh at morethanonelesson.com.
0: That's right. So um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Happy Halloween, and I'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.